This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. All the time. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. The other day, uh, after church, I was going with some friends to lunch, and I stayed here at the church to do some ministry, and by that time I figured, well, the table's going to be ready. I called Beth, who had already gone before me to put in my order, and she tells me, Aaron, we're not even close to getting our seats. Show up at the restaurant, and we have a very large group, a very full restaurant. My kids had been waiting already for 30 plus minutes. I did not see hope at getting a table. And if we did get a table, it just wasn't going to work out like I imagined just because the kids were going to be cranky. And I just made the decision, I'm not going to spend a bunch of money to watch cranky kids and an atmosphere that's not conducive for conversation. And so we made an arrangement and I politely just asked the people who are over there, is it okay if Beth takes the kids home? I'll stay here with you. And we ended up having a wonderful time together. It goes to show that when we go out to eat, it's really not about consuming food. I mean, that's just a small part of it. What part of the equation we go out to eat, we go to a restaurant because atmosphere makes a difference. And so we're paying for an experience and we're purchasing an experience. It's not just simply a mechanical uh, exchange. We are eating food to keep our metabolism going. No, we are going for an experience. And atmosphere really does make a difference. And one of the things that I want you to realize when we talk about today avoiding strife is that all around you, there are certain atmospheres in your life. An atmosphere truly does make a difference. And for the sake of simplicity today, I'm going to suggest for our talk today, two types of atmospheres in your life. There's an atmosphere of strife or there's an atmosphere of peace. It's usually one or the other. And we have this incredible gift from God and this ability to create our own atmospheres. We we don't realize that, but... In our homes, in our office cubicle, in the areas we manage, in the classrooms, if we're a teacher or if we're a student. We have all types of environments that we, God has given us an incredible amount of creativity that we actually get to create the atmosphere we dwell in. And for, for our purposes today, is your atmosphere full of strife or is it full of peace? I want you to write this first point down if you're taking notes, and it's this. Is God's calling us to cultivate your environment? Write that down. It's the first blank. Cultivate your environment. We're going to get back to the word cultivate in a few minutes. And Matthew chapter 10 is an interesting passage. And we find that that in Eastern culture, hospitality was a huge part of culture. We kind of cocoon here. But in ancient Eastern culture, hospitality was a big deal. If someone needed a place to stay, you gave them one. So the disciples, when Jesus sent them out two by two, had lots of options of where they could receive hospitality. They had lots of options of where they could receive um, uh, lodging and where they could stay when they went to have ministry. But Jesus was very particular And he said that when you go to a home, there's going to be a certain atmosphere there. 
And so he didn't want the disciples bouncing around and spending one night here and two nights here and another night there. He said, I want you to find a place and I want you to make sure that it has the right atmosphere. And reading with me in Matthew chapter 10, verse, starting with verse 12 through 14, it says this. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. And if it is not, take back the blessing. And if any house or home or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet and leave. Some of the more traditional translation says that let your peace rest upon the home. See, what would happen is they would come in and they would speak peace over the home. And either the peace would rest there or the peace would come back upon them and would not rest there. See, when they walked into a home, there was a certain atmosphere, either one of peace or one of strife. And that's one of the things that when we talk about, I, I want you to have great holidays. I want you to have a great Thanksgiving, a great Christmas, but it goes way beyond that. I want you to have a great life. And you're not going to have a great life if you don't seek out peace and you don't dwell in peace. And the first place that you need to understand how you avoid strife is you have to create atmospheres of peace in your life. I want you to think about that for a second. When people come into your presence... And when they're around you, what kind of emotions are evoked? What kind of feeling? Is there that sense of rest? Is there that sense of calmness? Is that sense of understanding? Or is there an uneasiness? Are you the type of person that at any statement or any moment you could just fly off the handle? And so because of that, people are uneasy around you. There's a sense of uncertainty. There's a sense of insecurity. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what type of mood you're going to be in. I had a mentor one time uh, critique me about something I didn't expect. I had a meeting with him, and there was a group of us there, and he said this in front of a group of people, so it, it kind of shocked me. He said, Aaron, you walk in a room all wrong. I was like, what? Of all the things you critique me of, I walk into a room wrong? Uh, and so I said, well, what do you mean? Explain. He says, when you walk into a room... You have a sour look in your face. You look like a bulldog ready for a fight or something. He said, when you come into a room, you bring a persona. You bring a presence. And, and I reflected on that. And after I got over my temporary offense, I thought, you know, he's right. He's right. And we, we, we sometimes don't judge that not only our verbal actions, but our nonverbal actions very, very clearly communicate something. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2. You know, God, at the beginning, before sin entered the world, he gave man and woman work. You know, work is not a curse in and of itself. Work has been cursed because of the sin. But when we're walking with the Lord, we're walking with him, I believe he can redeem work. But because before sin entered the world, before sin came into the world, Adam and Eve were working. And I love what Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says. It says this in the New American Standard. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden. And here's the word. To cultivate it and to keep it. There, that gives, really, really the root of that word is to serve it. But the idea here is that in the beginning, before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were creating the world they lived in. And they were creating an atmosphere. For those of you who have been involved in horticulture and planting, and as you know, that thing comes up a lot in the scripture. 
But it's amazing how the work you put in, you can create the atmosphere that you want. And that goes for our homes, it goes for our cars, it goes for uh, the church atmosphere, whatever it is. Work creates an atmosphere that we want. And I love the verbiage there, cultivate the land, cultivate the garden. And some of us, we need to understand that in order to avoid strife, we have to cultivate the areas that we have control over. There are certain areas that we can choose, whether it's going to be an area of strife or an area of peace. And so, so it is that you have a garden and you have a home. And however this unfolds, these holidays are other social engagements. When it's your garden and your home, your home, you cultivate what you want. You create the culture that your family has. And you create the rules for your home. You create the rules for your group at work. You create the rules for your classroom. You create the rules as much as you can that God gives you a chance to cultivate and create that atmosphere. So it is that during the holidays, in your home, in your garden, in the place that you, you're at, you have certain things that you can gently but with authority say. Say, we're not going to have racist jokes in this home. We're not going to listen to that type of music in this home. We're not going to watch that, those type of shows in this home. We're not going to have that type of criticism in this home. You can say that gently, lovingly, and prayerfully. But you cultivate an atmosphere. And when it's your home, and when it's your, it's your atmosphere, it's your garden, it's what you're cultivating, there is an area of self-determination. And very humbly and very uh, graciously, you can say, this is how things are going to be in my home. And just quite frankly, if your family and friends don't like it, they can go somewhere else. Because it's your home, it's your car, it's your garden, and you are the one that's cultivating that. And you have to make a decision and say, this will not be a place filled with strife. This is a place of peace. This is a home of peace. This is a church of peace. That's one of the things we just don't, our leadership team here at the church, we just don't tolerate discord. We deal with issues, but we don't deal with drama. Why? Because this is a place of peace. And we've determined this is not a place of strife. This is our place. This is our garden. This is what God has given us to cultivate and to create the type of atmosphere that he wants us to have. So I want you, first of all, when you know that you are avoiding strife, how do you avoid strife? Is know your atmosphere and know the place that God has given you control of is going to be a place of peace. You can't control everybody else. You can't control everybody else's environment. But your environment is a place of peace. It's not a place of strife. You know, one of the things that, as Christians, one of the issues that you probably haven't heard a lot about right now, but I believe over the next 20 years is going to be more prevalent, is the call Christians have to be part of, the, of disarming nuclear weapons in the world. There is a group called Two Futures. And instead of me trying to describe what Two Futures is, I want to read to you their mission statement here. And if we can put that on, Two Futures says this. The Two Futures Project is a movement of American Christians for the abolition of all nuclear weapons. We believe that we face two futures and one choice. A world without nuclear weapons or a world ruined by them. 
We support concrete and practical steps to reduce go ahead, nuclear danger immediately while pursuing the multilateral, global, irreversible, and verifiable elimination of nuclear weapons as a biblically grounded mandate and a contemporary security imperative. It's called Two Futures. I encourage you to look it up online. Uh, Incidentally, or not incidentally, actually, Billy Graham was way ahead on this issue. In the late 70s, he was already calling for the disarming of nuclear weapons way ahead when, you know, Christian pastors were like, let's nuke the Russians. Woohoo! Uh, he was he was calling for this. And now there's an awareness in the 80s. George Schultz, he's the secretary of state. And now he's part of this two futures project. And he says this statement. Let's read what George Schultz said here. It says the complete elimination Sorry, that was my fault, foe, but it's supposed to be of. The complete elimination of nuclear weapons is an idea with staying power. Presidents Eisenhower and Kennedy spoke about it. I remember Ronald Reagan's pursuit of this gold. And Presidents Obama and Medved recently issued an unprecedented joint declaration committing the U.S. and Russia to achieving a nuclear-free world. This idea not only has staying power... But we are also entitled to hope and believe that this is an idea whose time has come. Something I want you to be aware of, you know, this goes way beyond our Second Amendment rights of the NRA may talk about for you to go hunting with your grandkids or your uncle. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that we have weapons, we have all types of nuclear material all over the world that's unaccounted for. Uh, that really puts our whole planet in peril in the future. Even, even the idea of nuclear energy, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but what they do with the nuclear waste is they put it out in Arizona somewhere. We, we, we put it out, so we, don't, we have all this nuclear waste just sitting out in the desert. We don't really know what's going to happen to it. So those are issues to be aware of. Those are issues to be concerned with. Disarming weapons. Because what happens is when we disarm weapons, that is something that... The world longs to see. Could you imagine a world with no need for weapons? Regardless of how you feel about the right to bear arms or or even this issue here. We all can agree that it would be incredible to live in a world where there was no need for weapons. Because there was absolute peace. Can I just tell you that that world is coming? I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 2. That world is coming, but there's only one way that world is going to come. And that's through the rule and reign of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Until that time, I think we need to be responsible. We need to be active. We need to be aware of issues like this. We need to engage. We don't need to be among the people in the world that says, oh, we really don't care. Jesus could come back any minute. So, hey, who cares about the planet? Who cares about the nuclear age and what's happening there? My grandkids can can be concerned about that. That's an irresponsible an immature view. But the truth is this, is that there is coming a day on this planet when Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. And the incredible thing, Isaiah prophesies this. In Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah speaks of a time that's going to come. And this was, Isaiah was speaking at a time when Israel and Judah were under the control of Assyria. I know that might not mean a lot to you, but let me just explain this. It was a foreign world power that was controlling both God's people in the form of Israel and Judah. Now here is the, the, the backdrop, and here's what I want you to understand. When Isaiah was giving prophecy, 
It wasn't, the question wasn't, can Judah and Israel return to the glory it once had under David? Can we, you know, can we take back Israel or take back Judah and be who we used to be? That wasn't the question. The question is, will we even survive? I mean, the Assyrians are in control right now. Will we even survive? And in the midst of this hopeless situation, Isaiah prophesies about the future. And it's a powerful, powerful prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 2, starting with verse 2. If you put that on the screen, I just want to make sure we are on the same versions together. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains. That's talking about Mount Moriah where the temple will be. And will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instructions will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle. Now, here's a key. I want you to look at this verse. And this is talking about Jesus, the Messiah. He will settle disputes among the nations And provide arbitration for many peoples. Now look at this phrase. They will turn their swords into plows. And their spears into pruning knives. That is a beautiful prophetic word about what's going to happen on this planet. And if you understand, I want you to read this later. There is coming a day where in Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem right now, the temple will be established that Jesus will be worshipped there again. And in that day... In that day that Jesus is worshipped, he will ju- judge the nations. Let's go back to, let's go back to uh, verse 4. He will judge between the nations, disputes among the nations, provide arbitration for many peoples. Now look at that phrase. They will turn their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. In other words, instead of weapons that destroy the earth, and kill people. We're going to, the, 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 the rule of Jesus is going to change those weapons into something that produces uh, agricultural fruitfulness that makes the world better, that makes the planet better. That day is coming. There's going to come a day where people are going to stream to uh, stream to worship Jesus. They're going to worship him because he, his rule and reign is going to be clear. The enemy is going to be defeated during the millennial reign. There is going to be no need for weapons. That's an incredible thought. Now, I wasn't just chasing a rabbit. I want you to go with me here. Now, listen, we as believers are supposed to be establishing his rule and his reign in our lives and in our conduct and in our language and in our relationships and in our area that God has given us. So let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. What about your weapon? Because the scripture is very clear that the tongue is the deadliest weapon on earth. The tongue is our own nuclear weapon. One misspoken word. Getting something off your chest. Saying something that's not filtered through the Holy Spirit. That's not prayed out. Can cause in your relationships. It can be like a, a nuclear bomb in your relationship. It destroys everything. It can kill everything when it's not submitted to the Lord. Let me ask you this. What about today? 
Is Christ ruling in your world today? Is Christ ruling in your family? Is Christ ruling where he's supposed to be? Oh, here's the second thing I want you to write down. Is this. To avoid strife. Uh, Avoid strife. You have to put down your weapons. That's the next blank. Number two. Put down your weapons. That weapon... Your tongue, your mouth, your words that has been used to criticize, to put down, to to create strife, to cause division. God is saying, put down that weapon. Don't let that weapon anymore define you and define what God wants to do in you and wants to say in you. You see that we don't understand the power that we have to create an atmosphere of peace and create an atmosphere of strife. And part of putting our weapons down is saying, I'm not going to engage in that argument. I am not going to be part of that comparison. I am not going to criticize. If it means brief social ostracism, that's okay. Because I'm not going to participate. I am not going to get sucked in to that argument that happens over and over and over again. You can determine beforehand, there's not going to be a fight this Thanksgiving. There's not going to be a fight this Christmas. There's not going to be a fight this coming year because I'm putting my weapons down. God's going to take the weapon that was once a sword and once a spear. And now it's going to be an instrument to produce fruit. It's going to produce good things within the people I love. You see, Beth has an uncle. And so uh, his name is George. George is a godly man. He's a Sunday school teacher. But George and I have completely different political ideas. And we get together on family vacations, our trips. We have this very civil, fun dialogue. I mean, both of us are responsible. We have fun with it. George and I, in 13 years, have never had ill will between us. But when we began to tease each other and to talk and to banter back and forth... You would not believe these ladies who are getting the meal ready and getting the atmosphere ready get so tense. I mean, to the point where they're getting upset about our conversation. So we've made a choice and we decided we don't have those talks anymore. Why? Because it does not cultivate peace. Now, we do have them like on the back porch when the ladies can't hear us. But we know our audience and we put that down. We delayed that down. There's no need for it anymore because instead we're determined ahead of time. There is going to be peace here. We are going to have peace right here. And that's what's going to happen. I knew a guy one time who was this incredible youth leader. He wasn't the youth pastor, but he became in the church he served at the all-star youth leader. Parents loved him. Kids loved him. He was fun. He was engaging. The whole, the whole type of deal. And it was just, for about a year, it was just a great experience. And then one time, one time, he got criticized. And it was just one of those issues that a parent criticized him. And he wasn't even in the wrong completely. But that one bit of criticism, he just said, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Nobody appreciates me. I've done all this work with the kids. Uh, Forget them. I'm done. And I remember hearing this story. 
it was a friend of mine's church that I'm very connected with, and us discussing this and talking about how it's a complete overreaction. Even though maybe he could justify that he wasn't in the wrong and he was being unjustly criticized, he was completely overreacting to the situation. And he's saying, instead of dealing with the issue, I'm just out. I'm just done. And one of the mistakes, I think, that when we realize that we have to create an atmosphere of peace and avoid strife, one of the things that I've seen a lot of Christians do, or non-Christians do, is what they excuse me, a lot of Christians do, our new Christians do, is that when they realize that their family members or their friends are full of strife, they just say, I'm out. I'm done. No more spending time with you guys. I am not going to be around you. And I'm going to suggest to you that maybe in, in, in some rare cases that is appropriate because what I'm about to say to you is not a blanket statement, but often and probably frequently, that's an overreaction. It's an overreaction with, to how God wants you to respond. So when I talk about avoiding strife today, I'm saying know your atmosphere and create the right atmosphere in your home. Put down your weapons and don't be ready to fight. But here's the third thing that I want you to write down. It's this. Cooperate, but don't imitate. It's number three. Cooperate. But don't imitate. Those are your last blanks. Don't just say, hey, I'm out. I'm done. Because I just think that there's something that, unless it's a rare case, that it's easier for us, just like my friend, to say, I'm done. And here it was. He had an overreaction that took him out of the game. Something that he was good at. Something that he was effective at. Because one criticism, he said, I'm done. I'm out. So it is with us, just because we have people that we love that are full of strife, doesn't mean we say, I'm out, I'm done. It's just we have to know that we have to be aware ahead of time of why we're meeting them and, and, and what we're trying to do. I think one of the issues that we deal with is that when we're around family and close friends, I want you to turn to Matthew 11 as I'm telling you this, when we're around family and close friends, we want to drop our guards. I mean, that's what we should be able to do, right? And that's how it is. We, we're sitting there and it's after lunch on Thanksgiving or it's Christmas Eve or it's another family gathering or whatever the case is as this extends beyond these next two months. And we're there and we just kind of drop our guard and we're just free to be ourselves. And out of nowhere, boom! I mean, someone says something offensive. Our criticism comes our way or something happens we didn't expect. And, and it just totally catches us off guard. And so... What I want you to do is I don't want you to abandon your family. I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's probably God's will. But I want you to understand that when you do engage with your family, you have to be more strategic or to that special group of friends of why you're doing this. You're not necessarily doing it so that you can be, you know, drop your guard and just be yourself because that just doesn't happen in every atmosphere. We have to be very uh, selective of who we do that to do that with Jesus. Jesus did not isolate himself. He who was without sin. If we read here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, it says, For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say, he's possessed by a demon. Look at 19. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, 
and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Here's what I want you to see in this, that Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and Jesus was accused of being a glutton because he strategically spent time with people who were outside of God's family. So I want you to understand this, is that if God has placed people that have strife in your life, that he's not calling you to abandon them, he's calling you to influence them. He's not calling you in most cases to abdicate totally. He's calling you to engage strategically, to understand that when you're with them, that you are light in darkness. You are salt bringing out the God flavors, and you might not be able to drop your guard. You might have to be, stay walking in the spirit and stay aware of your atmosphere and aware of what's going on. But God has called you and your family to be a strategic influence. That might mean you might need to restrict the amount of time. That might mean that when activities start to happen that are against your convictions, you need to politely withdraw yourself. But you can engage, you can engage without being influenced and you can be the influencer. This is what Jesus did. I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 3 verse 7. It says, Jesus, I love this word, withdrew with his disciples. If you do a word study on Bible Gateway of the word withdrew in the NIV, you'll see all through Matthew. Jesus withdrew, 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 withdrew. I love how Mark says it this way. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And I want to encourage you to find the people in your life that you withdraw with. And those are the people in whom you drop your guard. And those are the people that you can totally be yourself and that you can be vulnerable to. And those are the people who need to be full of the peace of God. Because they're full of strife. They're full of strife that's going to affect you. And it's going to affect what's happening. Here's a question I have for you is this. Who are you befriending to influence? I want you to think about that. Who are you befriending to influence? Because God wants you to be a positive influence on people's life. And there's some strategic relationships that you need to say, I'm befriending that person, that family, because I believe God wants me to have a positive influence on them. And I think that in our blood family, that that's not a question of if, it's a question of we should. Unless there's those, those, those other circumstances on the fringes that I'm not going try to try to give all those exceptions right now. You know what they are. But in most cases, that's not a question of should we engage with our family to influence them. No, we should do that. We should try to be a positive influence on them as much as we can. But you're intentional and you're going to go there to befriend them. But then here's the second question. Who are you retreating with? Who are the people in your life that you can get away with, that you know have the same values, that you know have the same heart, that are full of peace? You see, there's some people in my life that I like to be around, especially in times when I'm emotionally depleted, or times when I'm discouraged, or times when um, things are just rough. And I, I want to spend time with certain people because the peace in my life increases. It's not an increase of strife. It's an increase of God's peace and what God wants to bring out. And those are the type of people that God's calling me to withdraw, withdraw with to his presence. Can we go to a time of prayer? Would you pray with me? I want you just to put down your notes, put down your Bible. Put aside your coffee for a second.
So I want you to center on the Lord right now. Do you understand that the Lord has a vision for your life? It's a vision of peace. It's a vision of shalom. You know, shalom means whole peace. Everything is whole in your life. Everything is complete. That's the place God wants you to be. Listen, I'm honest with you guys about my life. I tell you about struggles Beth and I had. I tell you about these stories of embarrassing things that I do and all that type of stuff. I want to be transparent with you. So I want to tell you something. I want to be transparent. Yesterday, I dwelt in the peace of God. I just want you to understand that. I woke up Saturday morning. I had my devotions with the Lord. I spent time in his presence. Came up here and saw things that were going on in the church and did a couple of minor details there. Spent the rest of the day with my family. We didn't fight. We didn't have strife. We had peace. Now, I'm not saying that because this set us up as some kind of perfect family because we do have strife and we do have problems. But I just want to tell you that I'm pursuing peace in my life. That is a goal. That's a vision God has for my life. And God's telling you, God is telling you to pursue peace, to avoid strife. As we talked about last week, quit being addicted to strife. Quit being drawn to strife. Quit wanting strife in your life. Instead, say, God, I want your peace. Can we stand together? Let's just begin to ask the Lord for that right now, Lord. Thank you for the peace like river. Like the river. Peace like a river is coming down. There's a river of peace coming. Lord, you said that peace I leave you, peace I give you, not as the world gives. But so don't let your hearts be troubled. The Lord said that if you have a troubled heart this morning, that that's not his will for you to be perpetually troubled. Instead, it's his will for you to be in peace. I speak peace over you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We're going to respond to this message today, making sure all things are right with the Lord. I'm going to ask that our prayer team would come to the front now. Please join me at this time. And the table of the Lord is open in the next couple of minutes. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.